friends. Thank you for listening to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm the Reverend Mary Vano, and in today's episode, we're going to try to tackle a question brought up by one of our listeners. If God is good, why is there suffering? It's one of the classic questions of Christian theology and one that humans have wrestled with for probably since the beginning of time. For such a challenging question, I've invited my dad to be our co-host today. The Reverend Dr. Robert Certain is with us from San Antonio, Texas, where he and my mother have retired. Thanks for doing this with me, Dad. I'm really blessed to be with you on your listeners today, Mary. The question of suffering or the problem of evil, as theologians speak of it, is a huge topic that can be approached from several angles. Dad, you and I are both essentially pastors. We are parish priests. You've been at it for 44 years and me for 17. So let's approach this question today less from the philosophical angle and more from the pastoral view, because I know you've been there many times, just like I have. A parishioner is given a catastrophic diagnosis, or their spouse is in chronic pain, or their child dies, and they come to you and ask, why? Why must I suffer? Why must my loved one suffer? How have you responded in those times? Well, Mary, mostly I try to listen through that pain until they can describe their fears and anxieties that go with the suffering. As you and I both know, our family is no stranger to unexplained and unfathomable suffering. And for me, the worst thing is not being able to do anything to alleviate the suffering, much less to solve it. Helplessness is the, in the face of someone else's pain and suffering is perhaps my biggest challenge. When I was in seminary, the fieldwork supervisor who shared a parish in northern Alabama was telling a story about a couple in his parish who had been trying for four or five years to have a child. They finally had a little baby. And one day when that child was about two years old, he was heading out to work and started backing the car out and neither he nor his wife knew that this child had run out and was behind the car. And he backed over him. And so Harry went to the house as their priest, found them in their bedroom, actually sitting on the side of the bed. He sat down with them and he couldn't say anything. Instead, he started bawling. He left ashamed because he had been absolutely no comfort to this young couple. A few days later, the wife called and said, she needed to talk to him. And they came in and he started apologizing for his failure. And they said, no, no, no. That was the best thing you could have done, to share our pain and suffering without saying a word. And so sometimes that's what we do. We empathize, we sympathize, we sit and suffer with the person and say nothing. That is so important. I, too, often struggle with just the helplessness of not being able to do something to just fix the situation. I want to make it better. But we're people of prayer, and so we know that prayer is powerful, that presence is powerful. It doesn't always feel that way because there's often not immediate gratification. But I think the example you just gave is really good because it reminds us that just being there is really important. What I often hear from people under difficult circumstances is God must have a purpose for this suffering. 
And honestly, I sometimes push back a little bit on that if I can, if I can do that compassionately, because sometimes I think that what people are saying when they say that is that God has caused me to suffer for the purpose of some important lesson or character development. And I have trouble with that idea because if God is going around causing our suffering, then it's hard for me to also say that God is good. And that's the theological conundrum. So this is what I learned in seminary, that the problem of evil derives from what we believe to be true about God. Generally, we affirm that God is good and all-knowing and all-powerful, etc., But if God is all three of those things, good and knowing and powerful, then why should there be evil? We have to adapt our understanding of God in order to make that logic work. So one way to do that is to say that God is not actually all powerful because in giving free will to human beings, God chose to turn over a significant amount of the power to us. So love is God's purpose. And free will is necessary for love to exist. Therefore, God limits God's own power, and human beings are responsible for introducing evil into that equation sometimes. That phrase that you quoted, God must have a purpose in this suffering, is also one of the phrases that grates on my nerves. When I came home from the prisons of North Vietnam and was on my way to Ascend Seminary, People would say that God saved me from death so that I could become a priest. I remember getting very upset with that because Mm -hmm. there's a flip side to that comment. If God saved me, then did God kill my friends? So that flip side is that God did not save my three friends who died when we were shot down. The pilot had a wife and five teenage children. The co-pilot was a young black man who wanted to attend medical school because, as he said, my people need good doctors. And the gunner was to retire from 30 years of service in a few short weeks. So I rejected the idea that God had purpose in their suffering or in my living. But I did believe that since I had survived, I had a larger purpose not only to be faithful to the call to the priesthood, but to live more faithfully as a memorial to my friends. Or in a different approach is to nuance our understanding of the goodness of God, that God can both be good and allow evil to happen as long as there is ultimately a good purpose uh, to come from that evil. And note that allowing evil to happen is different from God causing evil or suffering. In his little book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, Rabbi Harold Kushner proposes that in the sixth day of creation, when God created human beings, he had to make a choice. He had to choose between being all-powerful and all-loving. By choosing to be all-loving, God cannot exert his divine power over the circumstances of life, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, because to do so would render us all puppets, unable to choose doing every bidding of God's, and not being able to love him in return. Kushner was struggling with the death of his son, who at the age of 13 died from progeria. Progeria is a horrible disease that causes rapid aging, so he basically died as a very old man when he was 13 years of age. The other author that I find helpful is the Christian pastor, John Claypool, who wrote Tracks of Fellow Struggler which is a series of four sermons he preached while his young daughter was dying of leukemia. 
In his fourth sermon, after she died, he says that God would have to answer for her death. And that was not an angry statement. That was a statement of his faith, that ultimately God would answer for her death. God gives us the best answer to the question of suffering on the cross. You all know this story. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see that Jesus is guilty of no sin, and yet his perfect love is so threatening to the powers of the world that he is rejected and crucified. But death cannot destroy this perfect love. After three days, Jesus is resurrected. And the basic truth that I take from this Easter gospel, this faith that we share, is that God is present in our suffering and that God will not allow suffering or death to have the final word. It's never the end of the story. So if we're in that moment of suffering, that's what we can remember, that God is here now and we just haven't reached the end yet. There's more to come. St. Paul, who was chosen by the risen Christ to be the apostle, not just to the Gentiles, but to the world, said it well in Romans 8, 38 to 39. And we all know by reading the story of Paul that he suffered a lot. And he says in Romans 8, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in my own darkest night of the soul, when your Aunt Mary was diagnosed with Huntington's disease, terrible genetic disorder that threatened your mother, your brother, and you, Paul's words became a very fragile lifeline for me, but a lifeline that did not ultimately break. I was powerless, absolutely powerless, to protect any of you. And there were neither diagnosis nor cure available. And we lived with that fear locked away in our closet of terror for a dozen years before diagnosis became available. And we discovered that your mother did not have that gene, and therefore you and Stephen couldn't have it either. Recently, as two weeks ago, one of my brothers withered and finally died from the effects of something called purine nucleoside phosphorylase. PNP, that's a lot easier to say, isn't it? (laughs) Deficiency. He was a brilliant scientist, an accomplished university leader, a faithful Christian, and a loving husband and father and grandfather. When I last visited with him, while his mind remained sharp and clear, he could no longer stand or walk and could barely bring food to his mouth. Nearly 20 years ago, when my father was dying from prostate cancer, I was urging him to cooperate with the physical therapist so that he could remain strong to take care of my mother, who was stricken with Alzheimer's disease. He looked at me with fierceness in his eyes and said, son, your mother and I have a much better place waiting for us in this room in a stinking nursing home. He knew that nothing could ever separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That verse is so important to me. I have it written on the wall of my office. And I agree. We in our family, with my Aunt Mary, with my Uncle Phil, we have known that terrible question of why. 
with those genetic diseases that cause degeneration from which there is no return. And you want to know why. You want to know why are these loved ones of ours victims of such disease? And you can get lost in this question of why. And we have just barely scratched the surface of the question. But honestly, I find that a much more important question for people of faith is not why, but rather what are we to do with suffering? Suffering is a part of every human experience. So how can Christians respond faithfully when pain and evil come knocking at our door? As your grandmother would say to me when I was a young boy, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. Something I never wanted to hear very much, or it builds character. I wanted to hear that even less. Probably said it to you growing up, though. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Again, you know, referring to Paul's writings, he talks a lot about athletics and how athletes must push their muscles to the point of pain in order to make them stronger so that they can finish the contest as victors. Athletes at every age in every sport trained hard in order to withstand the stress, bumps, and pains that come with the game. Your sons have known sore muscles, scraped skin, disappointment, and defeat as they practice baseball, basketball, and skateboarding. But each of those have made them incrementally better as they strive again to do better and to succeed the next time around. The same is true for warriors who spend months and years in physical training so that when the need arises, they can command their bodies to do what is necessary to defeat the enemy to win the war. When I was preparing to fly B-52s in the Vietnam War, I attended the Air Force's survival school in Washington State. There we learned escape and evasion techniques and spent several days in a simulated prisoner of war camp, confined, threatened, interrogated, demeaned, and fed on a very meager diet. The purpose of this minor suffering was to teach us to survive and to return with honor if we ever fell into the hands of the enemy and had to do it for real. So, some suffering can be instructive and build us up so that we can better survive the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and be more useful to others as we grow, develop, and gain empathy for those who follow us. And while some suffering seems pointlessly tragic, like that suffered by your mother, sister, or my brother, nothing will be able to separate us or them from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. example that's an easy example but I have always thought as a mother baseball is a hard sport to win you strike out much more often than you hit the ball you lose more often than you win and I have thought that that's really good for my boys (laughs) they've learned to lose a lot it's helped them be resilient and work hard as hard as they can and take enjoyment from the game even when they're not winning. So it's a good thing. I also think that we do learn how to deal with suffering from the people with whom we're closest. And I think my parents have been pretty good examples for me. My mother has had so many health issues, including surgeries and chronic pain. 
And honestly, it took me a really long time to figure out that she suffered so much because she's just always gone on. I remember when Stephen, my husband, had a herniated disc and he was in so much pain. He ended up having to have surgery. It's a really rough time for him. And mom understood. She said, yeah, I've had like 12 of those. <laughs> and I never knew how much pain she was in. Now she does complain sometimes. And sometimes you can tell just from looking at her that she's hurting, but for the most part, her determination has kept her going. And she laughs easily and often. She doesn't let her pain prevent her from experiencing joy. I think that's important. And you, Dad, experienced a major life-altering trauma as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And that trauma has echoed back over your lifetime. But I have always noticed how you look for God during those difficult times. You don't miss your morning prayer time. You stick with those disciplines. You trust God to get you through. You continue in your preaching. We can always hear how you have sought understanding and it has carried you. No one wants to suffer, but I'm so glad that you and mom have given me lessons about resiliency and faithfulness. Well, I'm sorry you've had to learn some of those lessons. That's <laughs> <laughs> the ones I've taught you. You know, when I look back at Vietnam, it did have its moments of tragedy for me. And while those memories never really leave, my understanding of how God's hand works through them changes and enriches over time. So I go back to those memories, not some sort of recurring nightmare, but as a well from which I can draw the water of life, recognizing those themes of struggle and depravity and suffering as well as the positive themes of survival, spiritual growth and redemption, and abiding friendships that were formed there and grow from there. I frequently refer to my POW experience as the gift that keeps on giving. Or God keeps giving gifts, right? I mean, that's the goodness that God has brought out of that suffering. And that's why we read the Bible more than once, because each time we approach it, we're approaching with a different set of eyes and a different set of circumstances, and God can continue to speak to us through those words in a different way than He did a year ago, or three years ago, or in our childhood. And so we go and look back, see what was going on then, what's the theme of my life where God is working today. response to suffering is to use what goodness God has brought out of our suffering into our lives to use that in compassion for others. And you've done that as a priest working in parishes. You've also done that as you continued as a military chaplain. You've used your experience to bring comfort and healing to others. One of my big moments of suffering in life was when I lost a pregnancy. And that was so hard. After that, for several years, it just so happened that I was in a parish where a number of the families were experiencing various reproductive traumas. It was not the ministry that I would have chosen for myself because it was really hard 
But because I had been in a place of loss, I could stand with those families who were also experiencing something similar. So that compassion was also redemptive for me, as well as for the people that I walked that journey with. When we are somewhat transparent about our own suffering, then other people who are suffering in silence Mm -hmm. find that they have a fellow pilgrim. Back in the 1970s, Betty Ford developed breast cancer. That was back when we didn't talk about that sort of thing, certainly not on television or in the radio. And Betty Ford bravely spoke to the nation about her breast cancer. And then she became addicted to pain medications as a result of her recovery, and then went into recovery from that, and she spoke about that. And what happened when she shared that, the First Lady of the United States shared her suffering, then women around the country spoke up, and then money got put into finding a cure for breast cancer. And now it's something that everybody anticipates is likely to happen, and the cures and the interventions are much earlier. And I think that one of the positives of understanding suffering, our own suffering, and sharing that suffering with others, not only opens the deep, dark horror closet that we all have, and discover the boogeyman's not really there, that there is light in there instead of darkness. And then we can find hope for recovery. It takes a long time sometimes, especially when we're tackling things like breast cancer or any other kind of cancer, or in your Aunt Mary's case, Huntington's disease. It takes a long time to get diagnosis and treatment, much less a cure. Who knows what COVID-19 is going to do to us as we share the current pandemic restrictions to our lives to make us suffer, as we suffer a little bit with these restrictions, to be able to understand how other people who cannot get out of their homes all the time can be suffering and what we can do to reach out to them to alleviate their suffering and to share the joy and hope of the future with them. So perhaps the conclusion for our listeners who are suffering, and I know that, frankly, it's not too much, too bold of a guess to say that most of you are suffering. If you're not suffering today, you might have been suffering yesterday or you might be suffering tomorrow. But there's an important takeaway. Trust always that God is with you and will not abandon you. And look for the ways that God will bring good out of bad and life out of death. In other words, stay hopeful, remembering that Jesus came, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I think our joy is complete for today. Dad, this was such a hard topic, but We managed it. Thank you for doing this podcast with me. And thank you for engaging with me on this subject that we probably never really talked about in our whole life together. And for your listeners as they've shared with us in this very important conversation. And may God bless those who engage this conversation in the days ahead. Thank you all for listening today. If you have a question or a comment, please send me an email, mvano at stmargaretschurch.org. And listen again next time because you are a part of our J-O-Y.
Jesus is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Thank you.